this is all the stuff you normally don't see me do on camera. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. So all the behind the scenes. You're good to go? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I'm good to go. Excellent. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another HMG podcast. Uh, I'm here with Daniel, and, well, sorry, I'm Daniel, and I'm here with Jackson. Uh, and uh, today, we'll, we're going to talk about our recent event that we went to, Skulls. Now, uh, so Skulls is a typical event that we run, and we've talked about on the show multiple times. Uh, we they get run every now and then. Uh, different formats, different ways of building lists and different missions that come forward. Um, and uh, so we thought we'd talk about the most recent one uh, because, well, predominantly I'm here with the uh, the winner for both days for best allied general. Um, is it allied, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, allied. Yeah, I've turned coats for this weekend. <laughs> he normally plays Axis, which is what, uh, what threw me a little bit. But... Um, yeah, the we'll go briefly over uh, the format and where we can link that in the um, in the description for the players pack, um, which gives you all the rundown of everything. And uh, yeah, we will just have a look at overview of the event, the, how the mission pack and selection went, uh, and then some of the things that were a bit different, um, such as the spinning of the wheel uh, to decide over the two-day event. There were two separate one-day events that were back-to-back. -back. Um, Jackson attended both. Uh, got a nice clean sweep for, for his allied forces. Um, I could only make it to the first day. Um, but I took a very interesting list and had some very interesting results. Uh, and we did play each other in uh, on day one, uh, which was a very good game. <laughs> that was um, an understatement. That was probably my game of the day, of, of the uh, day, for sure. Yeah, it, it really was... Um, well, look, we'll, we'll get to it. So... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, skulls. Um, this this one was called um, Wheel of Fortune. Um, I, th I think the the there were there were a lot of words in the title. I admit, and I wasn't focusing as much on the title as I was everything else I had to do uh, within the mission. So uh, we we had two or two single day events back to back. Uh, so the player pool was slightly different because there were people like me that couldn't get to both days, but we still had at least twenty players per day. Uh, which was which was pretty good. Uh, and how many players do you think crossed over? About half the field. Oh, look, probably half the field. Sunday was smaller, so I think it was like twenty-two on Monday yeah. or on, on um, uh, Saturday, um, and then I think it was like sixteen or eighteen on the Sunday, and probably about ten of them attended both days. Yeah, okay, yeah, so about half the field then, that's that's pretty good. Um, we also had, again, notable absence of some of our um, our other players that would generally want to attend, um, and that's just naturally work schedules and things like that in WA, um, with people being off and away and on holidays. Um, but uh, a very successful event. Um, yeah, I mean, Gorchin's in Japan, because he's, he's sort of, he gets a bit of a free pass, it's hard to play virtual like that. Um, <laughs> But uh, but a very uh, a very interesting setup. So the three missions per day, um, thousand point forces, a minimum of eight order dice, which was an interesting minimum to to put in the pack, and then a maximum. I think was it sixteen uh, or fifteen? Seventeen. Seventeen. Oh, I see that. I only got to fifteen and then stopped because that's where my list was. Uh, but uh, but yeah, out to seventeen. Um, but then essentially not 
not really that many other restrictions outside of that. So we, we were able to bring an armored platoon if we want. Um, it still had to be a single platoon across the board, but you could bring virtually any theater selector. Um, you could v bring essentially any force. Uh, and and that we, we had some very interesting lists that, uh, that, that came in. Um, and because we opened it up to um, theater selectors from essentially any source, we had a couple of very interesting theater selectors that, uh, that came across as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm just trying to bring up the copy of the players pack. My yeah, I've got a copy in front of me. Um, but the, yeah, the thing with the, the opening is, obviously, as much as the, the lists were open, they were still pretty heavily um, vetted beforehand. Yes, they were. And I know Justin, who was TR, um, knocked back quite a number of lists. Mm. Um, and then there was, there was still some funky stuff there. Um, but yeah, they were fairly heavily vetted. Um, everything was pretty well proofread. Um, and actually, despite how open it was, I probably would have said there was only one or two lists that I would have said were, were really on the, you know, probably more competitive end of the spectrum. There's lots of people who were just taking advantage of stuff to run funky things. I probably would have sat in that category quite comfortably as well. So um, the... Uh, we'll, and we'll go into each list, I guess, in, in a little bit. But I thought there was a good balance of people bringing stuff because they wanted to bring it as opposed to feeling forced into um, any particular meta choice. Now, yeah, Justin did heavily veto some of the things that were coming across because he wanted his uh, his events to, to be in a certain way. Um, but everyone still had a ball. Everyone still had a great time. So um, it, I don't feel like we missed anything. Absolutely not. I mean, um, yeah, there was a huge spectrum of different stuff there, um, and he just yeah made sure that there was it was a good enough spectrum that everyone had a chance in there. Um, so there was nothing too bad. Um, but at the same time, I mean, the competitive players got to bring out their more um, competitive toys, um, and the themey players got to really crack out some of the really themey stuff that they wouldn't normally be narrowly be able to build, um, like you, like 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 me. Um, so we had. We didn't know what missions we were going to play on the day, so we knew that it was a possible pool of six. Uh, and the way that we decided was to spin a wheel, like an old school raffle uh, lottery style, spin the dial. Uh, and, and we had colours associated with that, that was um, all pulled together and those colours associated with the missions that we might play out of the six. Um, and the six were, so we had some standard ones, so key positions, no man's land, and meeting engagement were the standard rule book rule book missions that were pulled across and then we actually had three from the board action alliance players pack which is heartbreak ridge um and nuts and then blockbuster i think was actually a separate one it's off out of a campaign book isn't it no blockbuster's one of gorchens ah that's right that's right i do lose track of so many missions now that we're <laughs> trying to trace where they come from yeah um, i think i'm i'm th I'd be thinking maybe block out. I've been reading a couple of campaign books in the background, getting confused. Um, but yeah, so Blockbuster, which is an interesting mission. So um, on day one, we ended up playing... Well, we started with... Meeting engagement? It was Kill Points. It was Meeting Engagement, yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, Meeting Engagement to start, and then it went to Heartbreak Ridge, and then it went to Nuts. Um, and so I was... I don't get to play those other two missions that frequently, so I was very happy that <laughs> that I got to play Heartbreak Ridge and Nuts in in an event space. Because um, typically, when I'm playing, I'm playing and, and either doing rookie games or, or, or catching up with other people. 
I don't often get to play some of the more special things that we put together, so that was very, very nice. Um, so we should probably then, I guess, lead into... Uh, vi so essentially, victory points was um, win-loss draw with victory points themselves as the tiebreaker. Um, but the lists, this is where the interesting part happens, right? So, um, Jackson, I'm happy for you to walk through... Uh, what your list were, because you were on the Allied side and I was on Axis, and so our initial matchups were all done um, randomised. We had a lot of, um, throughout the weekend, um, a lot of blue on blue from what Justin was telling me, but overall we seemed to have a couple of uh, sensible matchups. Well, I suppose ours may not have been as sensible. <laughs> yeah, so um, one thing we didn't mention is that Justin gave every player a free intelligence officer. Oh, yes. Um and there was some funky stuff associated with that. But everyone got a free intelligence officer, which was really interesting to see over the weekend. Um, and it was interesting. I mean, the thing that makes me chuckle about the intelligence officer is that every time you go to use it, it's not because, you know, they're getting intelligence and they're, they're telling someone something that they don't already know. You're off nine times out of ten, when you're calling in your intelligence officer, there's a dude sitting there with a flamethrower six inches away from a squad and your intelligence officer is screaming at these guys to get moving and gun them down like they don't already know that that's a priority. Um, yeah, but my list, um, I kind of decided I wanted to try and be a bit more on the competitive end of the spectrum um, for this weekend. Um, so I didn't actually stick too much to a theme like I normally would ordinarily. Um, I also wanted to treat the weekend as a bit of a crash test for CanCon, uh, which I'm wanting to go to um, in January. I've just got to finalise flights for that. Um, so, despite the fact that the formats are very different, I wanted to build a, my list around a set of tools um, that I was intending to take to Canberra. Um, so my list was a Celo Heights list, um, which I'm sure everyone is growing at. I sold my soul to run that. No, um, I initially started out with, you know, the Jules Stewarts and all the competitive stuff. Um, and then I actually went through and I stripped out everything I thought was competitive and replaced it with something else. Um, you know, still a nasty list, um, but a very different <laughs> list to what I started with. Um, so regular first lieutenant, um, I ran in with, uh, or regular second lieutenant, sorry. Um, I ran in with two orderlies, um, and then with the intelligence officer, that's a four-man squad. Um, gave them all submachine guns. Um, two regular guard squads, eight men, Panzerfaust in each, just rifles. Uh, another eight-man guard squad, five submachine guns in that one, and a Panzerfaust. Um, a six-man motorized reconnaissance detachment squad you know, from the Fortress Budapest book um, with a flamethrower um, and three submachine guns. Um, and then... A pair of medium mortars with spotters. Took those regular to get the benefit from the spotters. I originally wasn't going to. Going to run them inexperienced. Um, that was a decision I became very glad about that I made to, to upgrade them to regular over the course of the weekend. Um, and then a compromolets for the motorized recon squad um, because you can't go wrong with one of those, um, although it really is just a crap brand. Um, and then um, truck... Ziz 3, Vet Sniper, um, a Katusha, uh, and an SU-76 with the um, howitzer ammunition as well yep. as the AT. Yep. Um, pretty sure that was everything. Um, oh, and Free Squad, obviously. Free Squad, yep. Yep, I was going to say they're probably yeah, the only thing you have Yeah. Yeah, it was... Um, it was quite. It was quite a solid list. It was one that was uh, quite a challenge to, especially for my list, to figure out how to engage with. 
Um, and, and so for those viewers um, that weren't um, aware of any of the posts that I put up or pictures that I put up on our, on our groups and, and the chats, the, um, my list was based on the motorized Flak Battalion 614, uh, which was essentially a 1941 well, 42 um, uh, sort of space. Um, Panzer one hulls with two centimeter um, flat guns essentially mounted onto the back of them in haste. Uh, and then they were sent out to uh, the Eastern Front, uh, which they didn't do too well um, at all. Uh, historically, they were, they were there because Germany needed more anti-aircraft defense and all the planes were busy <laughs> or shot down. Um, and so they were, they were like, right, well, we need something. And so they, it was a bit of a stopgap to use excess material, um, they were they were not not suited for the terrain. They were not really well armored. They had a they had a gun that was okay at the beginning of the war, uh, but very quickly, um, a two centimeter flak didn't really cut it for the sort of defense they were looking for. Um, but they were mobile and they they did exist. So my my selector was a German armored platoon uh, with a uh, SD KFZ. 265 command tank, which I'll talk a bit more about in a moment. Uh, four Panzer I hulls with light auto cannons. Uh, a, a second lieutenant in a Kuba wagon. Three eight-man squads uh, of here soldiers, just with rifles and submachine gun on the NCO. All of those mounted up in a truck each. Uh, I took a quad flak because they were in support of the um, platoon, which had a tow. Uh, I'm trying to think, I think, pretty sure that's about it, but as you, as just from the vehicles that I rattled off there, it was like nine vehicles, um, not any of them having an armour higher than 7+, plus, and majority of them with armour of 7+, plus being open-topped. Um, the SD uh, KFZ-265 um, was the only enclosed armour 7 vehicle, and it had a hull-mounted machine gun. You're actually not there is not a, um, a legal way to have that command tank command tanks in a tank platoon because in the selectors that is, or in the unit entry, it's allowed in all theatre selectors excluding, and it puts a couple of exceptions, and then reinforced platoons, which of course an armoured platoon is not one. So the command tank can't actually be in a tank platoon. So I wrote to Justin and I just said, Look, I've got this really crazy idea. Uh, I want to put this command tank in. It's technically not legal, but my alternative is actually to run a Panzer one hull with dual machine guns as the command tank for the same points and an extra machine gun that's on a turret. Um, and so Justin was like, so you're handicapping yourself by, by reducing a machine gun and making it hull mounted and you're, like, you're not really gaining anything whatsoever. Look, do what you want, I don't care. Uh, so. I was allowed to feel with that, which was a nice little bonus. Um, and I got to say that little um, command tank, it only died in one game. Um, and that every other game that it was alive, um, it, it was just harassing, but it was fantastic. <laughs> it was really good. Um, my obviously intelligence officer went with the second lieutenant um, and they all had assault rifles because I needed something with a bit more guns and range um, in the rest of the army. Um, and all the infantry squads are essentially the weapon crews that would have manned the um, the flak panzers themselves, which is why there was eight, that's why there was three sets of them. And so it's a very heavy themed list, um, basically half a true platoon of what uh, 
uh, motorized flak battalion 614 would have been um, and I performed probably a little bit better than what history would say <laughs> um, uh, so round one is probably going to be the interesting uh, game for us to talk about I don't even I'm trying to remember exactly what happened and it was a <laughs> It's a whirlwind of a weekend. Um, so you and I faced... And a big effort. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, and that was that was an experience because I was just looking at your list going, if I don't handle multiples of these flax early in the game, I'm going to be in all sorts of trouble because everything in my list is squishy enough that two centimetres is more than enough. Um, yeah, two centimetre flak guns going to do more than enough damage there. Um yeah, so, yeah, meeting engagements are just plain flat old kill points. Um, table we were playing on was fairly um, good line of sight, but lots of hardcover fences everywhere, um, a fair number of ruins. Um, I believe you got the choice of table side yep. um, initially. Yep. Um, so I didn't really get a say in that one. Um, and, yeah, it, yeah. Um, became a really tight game. Um, it was just a matter of me pushing forward, trying to get some kills on Flax. Um, it's amazing how much will bounce off the front of an Armour 7 vehicle. Um, yeah. They might as well have had 180 on the front. Um, I think I landed a total of six hits um, with a medium with medium A tank guns, either off my Zis or my SU, um, that bounced. Um, you know, the hit would go through, they'd bounce off the armor or you'd, or I'd, I'd, you know, set you on fire and you'd pass the order check or whatever. Um, I only managed to kill two of yours. Um, and you just got ahead. Um, I made a couple of mistakes there. I'd only played one game with my list. Um, I really wasn't very familiar with how a lot of it worked. Um, so I kind of bunched everything into a corner, tried to push forward, um, and I just couldn't get anything to convert. Um, meanwhile, you know, you know, firing backs of rifle shots into trucks and stuff and, and Kubel wagons and not really getting any conversion on kills there, maybe immobilizing them, um, dropping shots on flak veiling, like the flak veiling in your list, um, and even, with the mortars, um, and, and, yeah, and even, even the, even the flak guns. So, um, about turn three, um, the first mortar ranged in on the, on the flak cannon and we both... Typically at this point we go right. Um, it's medium medium mortar. I haven't gone down because I'd already fired that turn. Um, I was like, you're going to hit three dudes. You're going to kill probably two, maybe three quite comfortably. Like it's, it's fine. They're going to they're going to bail. The unit's dead. Um, so we killed two, left one alive, and then I rolled like a three or something for their morale check. And I was like, I don't care. I'm just going to whatever. And I'm like, that's that's not what the <laughs> that's not what should be happening. Um, I think the um, I think the other thing as well in, in to try and get people to visualize what happened. So I got to start with the first deployment dice as well, uh, and so I pulled a, a deliberately put my jeep with command team way over on the left flank and drove it up behind some cover, which is um, predominantly where uh, it had the best position to be. Um, for its purpose and the purpose that I was actually running against Jackson after looking at his list is I wanted to try to get him to commit something to deal with it and and just seeing exactly what he'd be willing to commit on that side as he said he then started to basically put everything on that flank and I was like okay so he's he's essentially giving me the other side of the board um, of course 
there's not a lot of tools in my force to, to make it work, but I had chosen the side. So I had some good road entry. I had some good uh, maneuverability of what I wanted to do. Um, but yeah, the, there are certainly some things that, um, the game was very, very close, uh, but it would have only taken a couple of dire scores to change by like one or two uh, in your favor. And it would have been um, either a really, really close game, like closer than what we had, um, or potentially your win quite comfortably. Um, the, the, yeah. the the big piece, of course, is uh, you used your Katyusha arguing. I wouldn't say wrong, but but arguably you were uh, and we talked too about it afterwards you were too aggressive yeah um and then so <laughs> so then i i gave you some pointers as to things to uh you know this is what you need because I, I knew that you were lining up potentially to go to cancon and, and just typically want to get better at using it and so having used a coat Yusha for a long time um i was just like look think of it more like this, leverage it like this. And, um, and apparently the next five games over the next two days, you were ruining people's lives with that, <laughs> with that unit. <laughs> yeah, look, it, so the whole point of that game, I guess, from the start, when you dump those two dice, the officer and the, in, the, in the field car or the, um, the Cooper wagon on the flank, I went, well, if I kill that, I'm two dice up, I'm ahead from the start, you have to come to me, my army's longer range and you're a squishy armor platoon. I can pick off a unit every pick it off a unit every turn if I can get the chance. Um, that obviously didn't go through. All that fire into that um, Kubel wagon really didn't do much. Um, and then I decided to start taking gambles. And as you said, I threw that Katusha forward way too aggressively. Yep. Um, I think I'd kind of gotten to the point where I've, where I kind of absorbed the whole concept of if I've got the mobility, I need to be using it. So I need to be throwing it forward to try and get the best possible shots. Um, that obviously means that you're exposing it. Um, and it is only a soft skin. Um, and it's something, you know, I've never played it before, but I figured I'd give it a shot. And I was just throwing it forward and it was just dying. Um, you'd get off one or two shots, it'd die, game on. Uh, it might have fouled opponent's deployment, um, which is fine. Um, that's always great. Um, but in the in the terms of the long term investment, it's better. I was finding, you know, that advice you gave of, well, I can see what you're trying to do with it, but go for if you can get that lineup on those two units, um, and keep it alive in the in the meantime, make it hard to get to. Yeah. Um, then that's infinitely better than aiming for that that five unit um, sweet shot that might just tip a game if you roll hot. Um, and in the end, that was the right, right call to make and the right advice to give. Um, the game as a result, like it hung in the balance. You got ahead, two dice. Um, it became, yeah, very much me trying to claw it back. Um, and yeah, the flak, I always just wasn't converting kills. Um, you were doing great at converting kills, keeping yeah. stuff alive. Yeah. Um, and I think in the end it came down to um, that that um, beautiful little command tank of yours pushing forward to go after a kill on a unit um, to secure that two-point lead. Yep. Um, and it exposed itself to the Ziz, which had been taking fire um, but managed to survive. Um, and it literally last dice of the game, right before dice up for the end of the game because um, of the calling of time. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, well, I have a 50-50 shot. I, I hit on... I think you by that point you got within six of yeah. of the Ziz. You'd gone really aggressive for these yep. other units, yep. um, and you 
put some pins on this. I think I needed like a four to hit, and then I needed anything other than a one to kill or one, one to penetrate. Yep. Um, and yeah, I managed to roll that. The um, the two, three, whatever it was. Um, I can never got remember the, that number designation. Got the hit. Um, got yeah, the got hit. Um, um, and that forced a draw. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it was a game that went right down yeah. to the wire. Very, very satisfying to play. Uh, it, it was a. It was. Yeah, the t- the terrain being lots of hard cover is always a bit of a challenge because um, there's naturally the way that it works is you're suddenly looking at sort of sixes and sevens to hit most things um, at, at range. But um, I certainly did have some good conversions and also just with when firing HE, like I was getting a good amount of pin conversion when I was actually rolling that D2 across and um, and that plays a part in a few of the other games that I, I had on, on the day as well. But um, for, for a start of the... Start of the day, start of the game. That was a, it was a very, very, um, very, very close match to get started with. Yeah, I'd say for me it was my hardest match of the weekend. Um, just because once I started having to go aggressive and then I was taking pins, um, you really put me through the ringer and made me work for every little bit. Um, yeah, that was probably my hardest match of, match of the day, day because I, I, I felt like from second turn onwards I was starting on the back foot. Um, mm. Yeah, that was it. Was amazing fun. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, one of the things that I tried. I don't get to play that often, but I like helping. Um, I like helping develop our community of players to play the game differently. And when you have to face something, as as like even when I was designing that list and trying to pull it together, I'm not the first person to have done that that sort of spam list on on the um, flag panzers, but no one in our scene had done anything like that before. And I was like, this is going to throw a curveball for a lot of people. And, and all three opponents um, were just like, it's a fun list to play against. But, um, and it's not, it's not overtly cheesy, but when you have someone that can pilot it well, that's really frustrating. <laughs> yeah, it was really frustrating. Um, and especially when you'd line up perfect shots, you'd get units suppressed, you'd put pins on stuff, and you just couldn't get anything to convert. Yeah, and, and having that command tank run around um, with so command vehicle plus a radio net um, on him and, and it just meant that I could ignore the first two pins that were put on those those uh, light auto cannons. So what about your... Uh, I've lost your video there, but I'll presume it'll come back. Um, yeah, I've lost yours as well. I think it's a bit of an unstable internet connection that's all right. at the moment. We'll, we'll keep going, um, and I'll put some pretty pictures up in, in the recording if, if this goes bad. Um, so what, what about uh, game two? Who did you verse in game two? Right, um, so I wound up against Michael Andrews um, round two. Um, he was playing um, his funky German list. Um, I think he'd kind of rolled the list out and gone, well, I'm, I'm here to have a fun time. I'm running some funky stuff. Um, I think he'd got an extremely... Um, sorry, I, I play a bit against Michael um, and spend a lot of time chatting lists with him. Um, and he'd play one of our other mutual friends, um, Jono, um, and got quite a convincing win beforehand. Um, his list was basically... Um, look, it, it was 12 dice, I think. Um, it was... The Landvosser Schlepper, um, the boat, the boat on tracks, um, the soft skin, yeah. um, which is a pretty impressive um, unit to see on the table. Um, it actually surprisingly good um, in a lot of ways. Um, great for blocking stuff off with. It's huge. Um, you can hide so much behind it. Um, it was that um, two squads of I think it was eight 
hear veterans with a, like a couple of assault rifles and a couple of fausts, um, like really, really carefully um, built units, a couple of smaller squads of vets um, with light machine guns, um, a forward artillery observer on horseback, um, the G43 sniper from Tough Gut, um, a howling cow, um, a, a mortar, an AT rifle, um, a five-man squad of Waffen cavalry um, vets with submachine guns. Um, he used this in a really funky way. Um, so, yeah, that was... We were playing on quite a dense Normandy table. Um, lots of roads, um, lots of hard cover, um, like centre of a town. Um, and we were playing... Second round was Heartbreak Ridge. Um, which I'd, I've played quite a lot of. Um, it's one of my favourite scenarios. Um, I'd played at Stacks into the lead-up to CanCon over East earlier in the year. Um, I've kind of got a couple of different formulas for how to set objectives up for it to give yourself, you know, the best chance. Um, so I managed to get objectives spread relatively over one side of the table, um, or as close as you can to one side of the table on in Heartbreak Ridge, because obviously everything has to be in diagonal quarters. Um, and he threw his right into his back quarter, um, and it kind of, it started, started as a bit of a slow grind. Um, he dumped his, um, schlepper and two, his two big assault squads of vets, um, in reserve. Um, he put everything else forward onto the table. He had some great enfilading, um, fields of fire. The howling cow had brilliant line of sight onto, um, onto a couple of central buildings. Um, so approaching across the table in any kind of like dense formation was going to be a real issue. Um, and so we just kind of started slow. Um, it was a really weird game initially because neither of us wanted to commit anything, but we're also trying to set up so we can rush across the table to threaten objectives late game. Um, and basically I slowly advanced forward. I picked off a few bits and pieces. Um, I got lucky. First turn I rolled on my Somalitz on his flank, um, lined up his artillery observer, forced it to wrecky, uh, so he didn't get to call down his art arty bar barrage. Um, and then second turn, obviously I'd forced it to wrecky back towards another unit. Um, I'd ro I rolled up the Katusha with one of those um, cheeky um, two-shot, um, like very hard-to-hit um, line of sight lines onto a unit, the unit next to the arty observers. Um, and rolled a fluky six that killed them. Um, that made my game a lot easier because it meant that I really only had to worry about the, the howling cow um, for area denial. Um, so I started to push up. I threw a truck up really aggressively. There was a road that was running sort of at right <laughs> angles across the table and parked straight in front of a couple of buildings he was using as defence um, and under his guns. Um, and I just threw my truck of, of um, assault troops forward on that, pushed everything else up. Um, managed to kind of grab the building in the centre. He had units within six of it. Um, they had started to push forward, which meant that I was under the, gu the guns for his howling cow. Um, and then just dug in. Um, his schlepper refused to come on for the entire game till turn six. So obviously he lost two full squads of vets and his officer. So a pretty large and substantial assault element of his. Um, so once I was under that howling cow, I managed to just slowly pick apart Unit out by unit, um, I got a fluky mortar hit, I think, on his mortar that managed to stop that being an issue. Um, and from there, it just snowballed. Um, in the end, turn six, um, he had a couple of guys, a couple of units on the table that were pretty battered. 
Um, his schlepper came on, and by then I had basically a gun line around his objective waiting for it, and it moved onto the table. All my ambushes went off. The schlepper died, uh, and we called it there. Um, so that yeah. was a pretty one-sided game. Um, Michael gave it his best shot. Um, his list was inordinately funky um that really threw me for a loop um he actually used his um vet cavalry in a really funky way he threw them forward um forced me to try and target them so they didn't get into my mortars and squishy teams at the back um wreckied away and then once i kind of figured i had them push back enough he moved them forward and dismounted them um with the submachine guns and went well i've got a set of submachine guns coming at you now um, now you have to bring something back to deal with them. Yeah. And that really threw me for a loop because, you know, it goes from something of, I can't target it, so I'm going to have to ignore it, to, yeah, these guys have got submachine guns, they're vets. They're going to actually be a serious threat. Um, that yeah. actually was something I'd never seen done before. Um, and kudos to Michael, he loves funky stuff, stuff, stuff that will throw people, odd little tricks and tools. Um, he's great for pushing people. Um, I always say to new players, if you can line up a game with Michael, do it because he's going to teach you something. You're going to see something, like if you're looking at something from a competitive or um, like just seeing how the game works and what you can do with the game, um, for even in casual play, um, he's the person to do it because um, he'll show you all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was it became quite a one-sided game. It was fun, um, but I think we've already teed up to, to organise a proper rematch. Yeah, it's um. So that, yeah, that was a. Yeah, it's a very interesting. Yeah, he he does, he does like to bring something that's a little bit off. Um, you know, certainly off meta and and out, certainly outside of what you would normally expect as a mixed bag. Um, when he first sent me a message about the, uh, the mounted, air observer. Um, my initial response was like, no, 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 no. And then the more that I looked at it, because in terms of legalities, and and the more that I looked at it, I was like. I mean, yeah, actually, like there's, there's nothing that would stop you doing that. Um, and he's gone, great. And he's, he's figured out, a, like he's gone, I'm going to put it in my list. And I'm going to figure out how to make this work as an advantage. Um, but uh, yeah, he's, he's a very, very, very fun player to, uh, to play with. The, um, so my round two. Uh, so my round two, I played against uh, Kane. Uh, so Kane had his US Marines um, and he, I can't remember the, um, I think it was Derby's Rangers, um, and essentially in that theatre selector, you have the ability as the American player, if you're playing an attacker-defender scenario and you get attacker, you can then choose to apply night fighting or reduced visibility or um, dawn raid or uh, flare as, as different scenario rules regardless of what's in play. And then because he's using a particular type of uh, specially trained raiders, um, he gets bonuses to the line of sight rolls um, and and essentially you don't. So he goes in with an advantage. Um, so we did we did a thing, couple of things back and forth. Um, I... For the first round. Um, and so he was like, I'm, he really, really, really wanted to play as attacker. And I was like, okay, I'll tell you what, let's just play it with his, as the attacker because I was looking at my list and I was looking at his list. He had no vehicles, which meant that all of my auto cannons would just be shooting at infantry. And I went, there's a possibility here that this is just going to turn out really bad, even if night fighting's in play. <laughs> so um, I, I just went, okay, look, 
let's uh, let's play it as, as the attacker. So we'll, we'll score it up at the end. We'll figure it out. It, it's it's fine. Um, so we technically gave him a re-roll that he wasn't technically entitled to, but it didn't matter. I was like, let's just play the game and have fun. Um, so as we went to pl uh, to set it up, um, you got to put the objectives down. You've got to put one unit down and then one additional unit, which is either infantry artillery. Um, so I put my command team down um, and directly in front of my command team, I put my quad flak down um, in area terrain, one inch away from, or just under one inch away from uh, the edge of the base. So I can shoot out with no penalty, but I'm gaining cover, all that other stuff. Um, and then uh, he puts his stuff down and I actually look at his list and I'm like, wait, like how many... You don't have a lot of stuff. He's like, yeah, but it's it's basically all veteran. Um, sorry, just a moment. <coughs> um, it's basically all veteran, and I was like, okay. Um, I mean, my my auto cannons at that point. Uh, I'm just going to treat you as regular anyway. <laughs> um, but but sure, you're you're veteran. And um, so when we were lining everything up, and and he was trying to uh, trying to come on from. Uh, moving and, and, and bringing things on his left flank. He had sort of 20 guys over there. He had 10 guys over on the far right and he had another 10 in the middle. And, um, you know, I, I was looking, I was like, he's coming at me piecemeal. And, and I was like, this is great. I've got 48 inches on my autocannons. I'm just going to open up and it's, it's going to be wonderful. And then I realized just how important him being the attacker with night fighting was um, because you, you roll 2d6 <laughs> And that is the maximum that you can see, plus or minus any bonuses. Here's a hint: there's a lot of minuses. <laughs> and so, when you're um, when you're firing at a small team in a ruin that goes down, um, and you're at range, you're you're essentially your default minus 12 inches to your sight roll before you roll the dice. And so, you don't shoot at anything that is outside of 12 inches, pretty much, um, unless you're being, unless you're shooting at a vehicle. Oh, well, my list is like 90% vehicles. So he was able to see me a lot easier in most cases and try and get some shots off, but he couldn't actually convert because you still take cover penalties. You still take all that other stuff. So I was making sure that I was protecting my stuff as much as possible um, so that he wasn't getting easy shots. Uh, the dice in that game and the way that it worked out, uh, both in order dice and as I started capitalize, as I got a couple of kills and tried to roll things forward, and just simply the number of auto cannon shots that I was able to put on units, followed up by close fire, and I was at a point where it didn't matter whether or not I um, was going to get muzzle flash tokens on my guys and make them more visible because I was putting pins on the only unit that really had a chance of doing them damage. So. Um, I started moving into a position of like, right, where I'm just, I'm deliberately going to close the distance with you and just open up. Um, so when we got to the end of that mission, uh, we went to, it was objectives first and then yeah, kill points as the tiebreaker. So we were tied for objectives. And so that was, um, uh, or no, I had one point more. I had the center objective under my control and he didn't. So I had, I had the one point win in that regard. Um, but even on kill points, I was ahead on kill points as well. And so I was, it, it, kills didn't necessarily matter, but the, I was stacking more victory points in on the side. Um, I don't know whether he was assaulting a flak base and I just had my spotlights on, or uh, but, but the damage that was dealt was pretty rough. <laughs> this is the game with the unkillable flak panzer, isn't it? The one that took a stack of um, bazooka shots that we could hear you guys 
like cheering and and um, hollering about from the other side of the hall. It took um, so there, there were there were essentially three flak panzers that I was running together with the command tank behind them, um, and then one of them crossed over and started advancing in the open with no cover, um, and it it was shot at with a bazooka team four times, and he missed three times. Uh, and I think one of the times he hit and then failed to penetrate the armor um, on an armor seven open top black panzer with a bazooka, which that's pretty impressive that he failed <laughs> that he failed to, <laughs> to penetrate the armor. Um, yeah. So then on the fifth turn and the fifth shot, he changed target and immediately blew up one of the other panzer ones. So we just figured that this other one was miraculously protected, <laughs> um, uh, and it survived yeah, being assaulted point blank as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we could hear you cheering from the other side of the the, the hole. It was great. Ah, oh, it, it's it was one of the like we were both enjoying the game. We were both um, you know trying to play it out to a little bit of theme and and like he had his um, even it, like his light mortar for example his three man team like it it trundled up and was like dropping rounds on me. I was like I've got to deal with that and and I actually couldn't deal with it the turn that I wanted to and I had to wait and and reposition and go at it again and. Um, and so certain things like that were, were kicking across. Um, but but when it was all said and done, I physically couldn't get my models close enough to his unit, even with it. Like, I was trying to... I was like, can I assault you and then leapfrog forward? Is there some way that I can make that happen? Um, and I was about an inch and a half to two inches short uh, on the distance, um, even if I was ignoring the terrain, which we, we wouldn't have been able to anyway. He could, of course, but he never got close enough to actually really deliver a charge. The one charge that he attempted to do, um, he was uh, reduced on his charge distance and then out by like half an inch. And so I was like, well, you're going to have to fail the charge and drop directly in front of the target. The target happened to be the quad cannon, which then mercilessly went into twos and just point blanked the unit with um, eight light water cannon shots. Um, so that was that was a bit rough. And it it was very, very, very close. Like I, I would not have had the confidence to say you're not in charge distance. Um, so like we, I thought he was going to make it when he put the charge order down. Um, and he beat me to, cause I was going to put my flak on ambush and he beat me to the getting the dice out first. And I was like, well, you've used your intelligence officer. So I have to let you have this one. Um, and then when he was just half an inch shy and had to stop, I was like, great. <laughs> um, but it, but it was another game that was, uh, it was, it actually felt a lot closer in the opening, like sort of three turns. Um, there wasn't, a, cause there was no shooting that was going to like whittle his numbers down. So all that was happening was that 40 veteran Americans were simply getting closer, uh, <laughs> which was quite unpleasant. There was a few lists built around that kind of mechanic. I mean, Luke's Brandenburger, Sea Lion and Brandenburgers were pretty much a very similar build, but for the Axis. Um, and it really threw people. Like, I could hear people talking about playing Kane's list, hear people talking about playing Luke's list. Um, I'd probably hazard a guess and say Luke's list's a little bit, does, does what Kane's list does a bit better uh, because of the way the Sea Lion and Brandenburgers work. Mm -hmm. um, but it really throws people when they can't shoot stuff. Really throws people. Yeah, and it turn it turns bolt action. Um, not that it isn't a manoeuvring game already, um, but it certainly 
exaggerates that element and goes like, you need to know how to maneuver against it because you're going to have to be ready to react very, very quickly in a short space of time on the board. Um, yeah, it, it, it was interesting to say the least. Um, and then, uh, now then we get into it. So that was, that meant I was going, I had a draw, then I got a win, um, albeit a win just barely because I held that center objective. Um, and it kept him, I kept Kane out of that, um, middle zone. You had a draw and then, um, you, sorry, you had a, a win on that second round. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was a fairly, I think it was like a, yeah, it was a convincing win. I held all three objectives. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. So that was quite big. Um, and then into mission three. So this one, um, I got to play someone who I'd never played um, before, I don't think, um, Rowan. Um, and so uh, oh, uh, that was a really interesting game. We both had armored platoons, um, except he had a Soviet armored platoon with an IS-2. Now... I went through my list and just double-checked, even though I knew full well, I had nothing that was going to touch the sides of an IS-2. And I went, that's okay. He's probably taken it as like, even though it's his command tank, he's probably taken it as inexperienced or something like that to help mitigate the cost of the points and, you know, what that would... No. No, he took it as veteran. Um, and what that meant was literally... I could do nothing to that tank. <laughs> yeah, I heard. I, I could hear. Like again, um, like for those who don't know, Dan is a very enthusiastic gamer, and you can hear him three or four tables down, um, and you can hear whoever he's playing because usually everyone's getting caught up in the excitement of the game, um, and we could hear you hear you going on about this IS two that you just could not hurt. Um, didn't yeah. he have some other tanks supporting it? And he had quite he a did. good selection of other different tools, didn't he? Yeah, it was good. So, um, so Rowan's list as, as the Soviet armor platoon, he had the um, IS-2 as the command tank. Uh, he had a T-26 inexperience with double, so double machine gun tank. He had an OT-26, which is the flamethrower um, variant of a uh, T-26. He had an SU-76. Uh, let me think here. He had a truck for his free rifle squad. Uh, he had. He also had a Katyusha. Uh, and then didn't he have some riders as well? And then he yeah. And then he had two units of tank riders, uh, a five-man squad of veterans and a six-man squad of regulars. No body armor, just just straight tank riders. Um, so infantry-wise, his list was very light. Uh, didn't have necessarily a lot in it, but it was supported by not an unreasonable amount of, um, you know, guns or various types of armor. Um, all of it arguably more significant than mine. Um, in, I feel that I, we had a, we had a very open urban area on that board. So we had lots of roads, we had lots of buildings on the roads, um, or around the roads, but virtually no scatter terrain and nothing blocking movement on roads whatsoever. So we had um, like between his Jeep, uh, sorry, between my Jeep, his truck and our different tanks running around and trucks, um, everything was like taking advances, but moving like 24 inches double pivot. That That's some serious um, mobility around the board where it's like you can start doing things that normally that's just not attainable in one turn. Um, and so where, where I... He made a push with his um, T26 directly towards my flak gun that I'd deployed centrally. 
um, and he, he just just advanced it 18 inches and went, right, I'm just going to point blank shoot it. He didn't do anything because he needed um, the sevens to hit, but even so, it was I was like, right, well, that's a threat, and technically my flat gun may do damage to it, but I'm more likely just to pin it into non-existence. Um, but that's going to take a couple of turns. Uh, what I did was I took one of my trucks towards the end of the turn and literally just ran it and went 48 inches one pivot and put it in his deployment zone. <laughs> so, so I had a unit that was then like within a hair's breadth of his objective from nuts, um, you know, from turn two yeah, onwards. Is nuts, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so we had five objectives in nuts, um, sort of placed and moved around. Um, and and yeah, so we were both we were both very much threatening each other's deployment zones very early. Um, however, as the weight of the number of dice and as I started to immobilize his units simply by forcing pins on them and forcing um, you know forcing him to take decisions about well my flak's going to open up on the Katyusha, um, I'm just going to fire my HE, and then I actually got enough damage on it so that the Katyusha ended up with some pins. Um, and then I flicked across to one of my two centimeter ones that was just like, well, now I'm just going to kill the Katyusha and just took it out. Um, so similar to how I killed your Katyusha, um, where it was just my, one of my little tanks trundles on and goes, I'm just going to shoot at that and just pop, 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 and blew it up. Um, but it's the rest of most of his units um, ended up getting killed. Uh, and we ended up at the stalemate where he had one unit of his um, veteran tank riders that was sitting on an objective in his home territory. I had claimed the other one that was in his deployment zone that was, that was a seven-man unit that was in a building and the only thing nearby was an SU-76 on four pins. Um, so it wasn't going to hurt me because I could just keep adding pins to it every turn being open-topped. Um, I'd killed off every other unit um, that he had. And so th through either attrition of pins or through um, or through just simply destruction uh, and the number of autocannon holes that were put in stuff, um, everything else managed to get out. Of course, the IS-2, it was, com it was absolutely camping. One of the objectives, I was not going to be able to get near it and hold it, but it also wasn't able to impact what was going on. Um, so one of the benefits of my list is because there's four trucks and a Cooper wagon, um, those five order dice suddenly become movement blocking terrain pieces that I deliberately will get killed off and run them in front of the enemy to simply say you have to go around it or, or through it. Now, typically I try to do that with something nearby so it doesn't auto die, um, but I was, I was in a position with... Um, and I did it with you as well, where I was just like <laughs> moving them backwards and forwards whenever I needed to take a shot with something and then I'd put it in front when I wanted to block it. And then like, so you create a movable cover, um, you know, that, that that's there when you want it, but not when you, not when you don't want it. Um, and I did a similar thing that was over there. I was like, right, I'm just going to hurt everything around a little bit and just put these things in the way so that, sure, if you want to take a shot, you can kill a truck and... I will lose a dice and that will hurt, but that means you're not shooting one of the autocannons or that means you're not shooting one of my infantry squads. Um, and so that became quite critical to just lock down line of sight and block things off and um, just reduce the opportunity for things to be done. So in turn, I think turn five it was just before the game ultimately finished because um, I offered 
um, Rowan the draw at that point when we were equal on objectives. Um, because uh, if we'd gone on and played on to turn to turn six or turn seven, whatever it was, he had one man against an eight-man squad on the centre objective, and I was like, I'm just going to assault you. Like, I'm seven dice to kill uh, on a four-plus or a five-plus even, but you're only ever going to get one attack back, and I'll just go again and again and again until I kill you. Um, so I was, I was like, I'm not fanatic. I should get, you know, 7v1. Um, I should get at least 1-5 uh, in 7 dice, and so it should be an equal trade. Um, it could all go pear-shaped, and then I'll just shoot you with a 2-centimeter gun. Because um, there was one parked right next to the objective. So if, if he did if he did survive, I was like, right, now I'm just going to hit you with uh, with an anti-tank shot, point blank. Um, but offered the draw because I I didn't see that as a fair way to... with like We had like less than 5 minutes at that point. And so I was like, I'll just, I think it makes sense to do the draw here. He's fought hard. Um, I'd blocked off the IS-2, so it wasn't genuinely going to impact anything further. Um, we could have traded a couple of kills backwards and forwards, but the kills didn't matter. It was objectives uh, in that one. So um, ended up on another draw. So I didn't lose a single game with my list. It is a solid, <laughs> solid list. And coming back to what you said, I mean... The real trick with that list, and I think it, it's very much the mark of a good player, um, is the ability to throw transports around, as you were saying, and just blocking stuff off. Um, and I see it so many times, is, is transports get used as a, as a one-way missile, cruise missile, um, and then people just pull them back. And it's like, well, great. That's fine if you're playing the kill points. Um, excuse the dog barking in the background. Um, but if you're not playing kill points... Um, Throw it forward. Use it to, to clog things up. Use it to shut down avenues. Um, use it to block line of sight. Um, they're amazing assets like that. And people will often say um, and talk about, um, oh, I can't kill anything if it hasn't got a machine gun, it, therefore it has no value in my list. It's like, well, I disagree with that. You, you can throw that forward. Um, and the ability for you to completely foul a tracked vehicle's movement or provide cover um, is just absolutely obscenely good um and it is game deciding yeah and and i think there's um when you can do it on mass so like having one truck for example um you can get some leverage ability out of that um but when you when i have four in my list that i'm comfortable enough to you know move around and and, and do it with it's like the idea of for example like boxing in one of my own infantry units around and just give them a line of sight blocking soft cover barricade by default um, by just putting it in the way and getting it blown up um, you know th those I can do that five times across the course of a game like that actually that means I can get my infantry from cover to cover very very successfully um, or if there's an empty space on the board that that I'm like I'd really like a bit of you know truck sized terrain there Oh, okay. We'll just drive a truck there. Um, it's, it becomes a bit easier. So, what about you for game three? Yeah. So, game three, um, I rounded. Um, we wound up against um, <laughs> Matt Hemi. Um, so, Matt was running a um, Japanese list, um, and it was pretty pretty run of the mill Japanese. Um, everything in it was regular, aside from a couple of suicide yeah. guys. Um, it was. Uh, a lieutenant and um, one man, um, 
four squads, two of them were the Grenadier squads with a um, light mortar, mortar. Um, and, a, and a light machine gun, um, and every squad had a submachine gun in it. Um, he had a sniper, he had a flamethrower team, he had um, a... Oh, what was it? Um, he had the machine gun squad, the reinforced machine gun squad out of Campaign New Guinea. Yep. Um, which yep. is an interesting choice. Um, I like it. It was eight men. I think. Yeah, I. It's interesting. I reckon they go really well as a pair of units. Maybe not so much one. Um, I was. I think I had that conversation with him on the day. Um, really interesting choice. Um, and throw out a lot of firepower at a decent range. Um, and then he was running a Horo um, and a couple of Suicide AT guys. So it was 12 dice to my 14. Um, we were playing nuts. Um, we were playing on um, my own personal table um, that I'd provided to Justin for the day just because we needed an extra table. Um, it's a work in progress, so it is probably could do with a little bit more terrain on it. Um, it had lots of dense terrain, lots of soft cover. Um, but just needed a bit more hardcover on it. Um, I actually quite enjoyed chatting to everyone who played on it afterwards, saying, what does it need? Um, got some great ideas for that. Um, and again, obviously, we're playing nuts. Um, the one big thing is, um, when we started deploying objectives, I just threw all the objectives I could out into the farthest corners I could. Um, because given there was only four squads plus the machine gun squad... Um, I was pretty confident that if I could force him to spread out, given how open parts of the board were, I mean, there was plenty of soft cover, but you still had good line of sight. Yeah. Um, I, I was pretty confident I could chop units one at a time um, as they came at me, as he tried to hold, hold objectives with them. Um, and that's kind of pretty much how the game went. Um, he threw, he very cleverly threw squads into um, our flank. Yeah. Um, and went, well, if you're playing the corners, I'm going to put, I'm going to play the sights. Um, so which then obviously forced me into the centre of the table where he could try and get some good crossfire on me um, from his two corner objectives. Um, obviously, that means that there's two big squads of Japanese that I don't need to worry about till later in the game. Um, and I got I got fluky hits, um, managed to drop 15 infantry in the first turn off indirect um, and long range fire. Um, that's a third of his infantry, obviously. Um, That's a lot. And, yeah. That, yeah, it was, I didn't manage to concentrate hits on stuff. Like, I was trying with everything I could to concentrate hits on one squad. Um, but I got a fluky hit with a mortar. I managed to get a good lot of rifle fire off on another unit. Um, and then between snipers um, and other, like, sort of scattered small arms, I managed to pick off a fair few guys in another squad. Um and that was really more more a fluke of the dice there. Um, and then from there, he pulled back, um, tried to pick off some of my units. I pushed forward, um, kind of keeping a sort of 18 inches around. Um, and then once I had him boxed into the corners, I just started throwing down assaults yeah. um, and assaulting his units. Um, once they were down to sort of four men in the squad and I could reliably hit them first. Yep. Um, the Horo 8 SU-76 shell, obviously the objectives being all spread out suited me perfectly fine. Um, he made a last-ditch um, push onto my back objectives, uh, my back corner objectives, with his outflankers, um, and that caused me a fair bit of issue because obviously I'm most of the way at the table by then. Um, but I managed to lock them down um, with some ambushes, um, and in the end, that was four objectives to me, um, one to him. Wow. Um, and we called it. Yeah, called it there. Um, I think nice. yeah he he still had um, he had he had a couple of squads of infantry um, 
that were pretty beat up, um, but I've managed to kind of clear out stuff on his end of the table. Yeah, wow, that's uh, that's very good. That's um, a four v one in nuts is uh, not to be underestimated. That's a very challenging, <laughs> challenging total to reach. Um, yeah, yeah. It's trying. The trick was spacing everything out because um, once those objectives were far out, I mean, the terrain helped me considerably because obviously Japanese armies um, favor getting up close and personal, and it, it allowed me to. Um, direct his movement in such a way that I could um, lock him into corners mm. um, and on, onto the flanks and force him out of the middle. Um, but, yeah, it was really was spreading those objectives out, forcing him to try and take take them piecemeal one by one um, with individual assets and then punishing anything that came forward. Yep. Yeah, it's... um, Yeah, so Matt Hemi's uh, list was... Um, did he, he won Best Painted on the day? He won best painted on um, day one, on day one um, and yeah. Oilers won best, best access general um, day two. Yeah. Um, he used the list really well, um, and it was a really cool themey list. Um, I think given the horror, I think it was a Philippines themed list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, it was. he played it really well. Um, I think that my big takeaway, because um, spoilers, I actually wound up playing him twice over the two days because they were runners to one day events. Um, I think the big takeaway for me was, especially with with um, regular Japanese infantry, that fifth squad. Um, obviously, he had the five squads, but he only had four of them as push squads. Yeah. Um, that fifth squad makes a big difference to how how easily you can deal with things. Yep. Um, yeah. Especially on open. <clears throat> yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of the um, of the essentially the gun section, the the machine gun section, as opposed to a machine gun team. Um, but as you suggested running it as potentially two of them um, as opposed to just the one. Um, you And the first thing that typically I would do is the first casualty that's removed, choose the gun model, and then you've just got another infantry squad ready to go um, that, that, that can move around as needed, um, which is something I've done in a few other different games. And um, it depends on where you set them up, obviously, but you, if you max out your infantry selections and then you get a bonus extra one... <laughs> It's, it's quite a nice little bonus. Absolutely. Um, and they're, they're quite a... Um, because it's something that people think about twice because it actually has a lot more fire than, fire than a normal machine gun. Yeah. Um, so people kind of go, well, it's a machine gun, and then they'll rush or treat it like a normal machine gun team. Um, and then obviously it starts operating like a squad. Yes. Um, or they try and treat it like a squad, and then it goes, well, that's 36 inches away. I'm going to load it up with a machine gun. Um, so if you play it clever, um, as much as machine guns are in a quirky place in bolt action and they're not the best, um, it actually has some really funky utility um, and can really throw people um, if they're not playing clever. Yeah, it's also harder just to delete their... Because, um, yes, the machine gun is a team, but you don't lose the order dice if a sniper shoots at them. You still have, you know, the seven-odd guys that are left that are going to continue being a rifle squad. Um, uh, and... Japanese with rifles. That's all you really need. Bonsai. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. So um, now, unfortunately, I don't have the exact scores of where we where we all ended up. Uh, we I know that you obviously won on on your side. I'm not exactly sure where I ended up, but um, 
uh, with with a win and two draws um, across the board, three fantastic games, um, a really nice set of opponents. Um, the environment, the, the, the setup and everything we had was quite nice. Um, I don't think there was any, even with, like, for example, your board of terrain, um, which we know is, is that you're working on, on those pieces, greatly getting feedback as well, because like, all the trees stuff and the dense terrain that's on there right now looks really, really good. And so it's also aesthetically, what is the next thing that you can bring into that um, from that point of view? Um, but like all the terrain looks good. We have some of uh, the club terrain, Andy Andy Lawson's desert board again with his modular two by two tiles. Um, yeah, there was a stack of things there that were um, you know really quite good and enjoyable. Did they change any of the terrain on day two? Look, they shuffled around for day two. Um, one of the things probably worth mentioning um, for day one is that we had an even balance, an even an even split of Axis and Allied on day one. Um, and the Axis actually did really well day one. Um, I think the only player to go 3-0 was Jake. Um, mm -hmm. Jake's a local player who's been only playing a couple of years. Um, and he was running like a Sherberg list. It was a very much a machine gun German list, lots of machine gun teams, all kinds of funky stuff. Um, he played it really well. Um, he's been putting a lot of work in to get up to scratch. Um, and um, I think he went through six months of hell where Michael and I beat him soundly for six months. Um, he lost 20 or 30 games in a row um, and came back, learned from it, um, and is now an absolute terror. Um, but, yeah, the Axis did really well day one. Um, day two, obviously, we had a very different field. Um, we lost a lot of Axis players for day two. I think there was only five Axis players total, four who wound up playing all three games. Yep. Um, and um, we'd shuffle some of the terrain around. There was a lot more, obviously, um, you know, Brits and Soviets and Americans um, for day, um, day two. Um, so obviously that then also changes your dynamics because you know you, you're missing some of those other funky bits and pieces that you'd see if you were um, if there were more um, more access lists. Um, there wasn't as many armor platoons for day two um, on the access side. Um, there was a Japanese armor platoon of Chiha Shinhotos. Oh, um, nice. That was quite fun. Um, and then we had some fin. So we ended, we wound up day two was two German lists two Japanese lists and a Finnish list. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, a stack of um, a stack of um, allied lists and every table got shuffled. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that was good. Some, uh, I think quite a good event. What we might do is, because um, we know we're going to get a couple of other visitors on for, uh, or sub guests on for day two coverage. So I might call, we'll call this part one of Skulls and then we'll get on the other... Um, the other people at another time for for part two because um, I know Jacob wanted to be there as well so Jacob obviously intended day two Absolutely. yep so I won't steal their thunder uh, and jump on that one but uh, so uh, so what do you think you've got two a clean sweep now of skulls do you think you're done um look it's you know bolt action I'm never quite done with it it's the game I keep coming back to um I love it dearly um and you know Perth community is brilliant. Um, I kind of had been, I was going to CanCon. I was going with some mates. Um, they'd said they were going. Then they had some lifestyle stuff come up. They said they weren't going. Um, and then I played at Skulls. I'd obviously built a list that was similar to my CanCon list, some similar assets there um, in the list. Um, and after Skulls, I'm feeling super pumped for that. So I, I definitely will be, um, that's my next goal. There's a lot of things I'd shuffle around in my list. There's lots of things I learnt from it. 
Um, the Comsomolets is great, but not having a Pintel and being tracked, it's there's a lot of time you're not getting value off that machine gun on it. Yep. Um, so a Brent Carrier kind of is a must there. Um, and then there was a few other bits and pieces. I'm, to- I'm toying with swapping out the about, SU. They're pointed about the same, aren't they? Cosmopolitans and the Universal Carrier? So the Comsomolets is 60 points with a light machine gun on the hull. Open topped armor seven, and then a brand carrier with the pintle is seventy points. Um, so and with five man transport, so it's ten points difference. You add the machine gun; it just adds a lot of flexibility there. Yeah. Um, I also didn't find myself getting a lot of value out of um, the reg infantry, um, mainly actually as assault units. Um, so my big takeaway from that is. Um, I'm actually going to go, because Cancon's dual platoons, if you'd like, um, or single theatre. Um, so I'm going to go back to my roots of massed green and experienced infantry, because I always find I get better value from that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're swapping out the SU-76 for a Ziz-30, um, which is the Comsomolets with the Ziz-2 mounted on top. Absolute piece of trash historically. Very nice. But it's fun. <laughs> it's fun, but it's... You lose the HE, it's armor 7 instead of armor 8, but you add the machine gun. And I found, like, pretty consistently with the the SU-76 is that um, it became a massive push element, but because it's only firing the one shot, it was so hit and miss. Yep. Um, And having the LMG on the front, um, you lose the HE, obviously, but having the LMG, um, I might toy with that. Gives you an extra four Um, shots, right? Like, that's that's the thing. Like, you... Your ability to simply generate a pin um, is 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 increased by having four extra shots. So, um, yeah, it, it's interesting. Yes, okay, armor value, blah blah blah. I just ran flak panzers. You'll be fine in Perth. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, it's just one of those things. Like you can toy with a list and toy with your list and toy with your list. At the end of the day, the big takeaway from from skulls, obviously, is we had a lot of pit, um, people running around with lists that other communities would say aren't meta, aren't yeah. competitive. Um, and that's just the way we do things here. Um, but it was the player that made the lists, not the lists. Mm. Um, so you can tinker and toy and fiddle with stuff, but at the end of the day, it is the player. Um, some of our best players were running really weird stuff, um, and they had a ball with it. Um, yep. And, like, there's plenty to learn from it. Um, there was plenty I walked away. I take notes after games now. Um you know, write down things to work on, things to improve. Um, spoilers for day two, but um, like day one was great after my game with you for getting the most out of the Katusha, um, being a little bit more careful with it. I got lots of value out of it then. Mm-hmm. Um, day two, those that the, that shift in how I was using it reaped massive dividends. Um, yeah, and yeah, I just I applied what, what I'd learned in our game, uh, what we'd had a conversation about, um, and yeah, it was it was brilliant. Um, so yeah, there's plenty more. I guess what you're saying is um, that I want to do with bolt action. Um, not too fussed now. I've got a second dice bag. I've got one for the Axis and two for the Allied. Um, now, when that kind of, I guess, um, bit of a prestige thing here in Perth is that the Skulls dice bags are highly sought after. Um, so it's that's something I've been chasing for a while. Um, but so not too fussed to begin where I come. But as long as I get keep getting to have some fun with um, with lists and learning stuff. Yeah, I. Uh... I might actually have to put some serious time into actually chasing one myself because everyone's getting them except me. Um, 
<laughs> yeah. And not too many people, like, there's lots of, we've got a lot of people who've picked one up over the years because yeah. um, the thing with Skulls is that our community just keeps getting better. Um, and a lot of players have, and especially given it's a three-game tournament, um, all kinds of things can happen in that because you can dodge you can dodge hard matchups, you can mm. um, get a couple of fluky games with high good dice rolls, um, you can play really well and someone else can have an off day. Um a lot of people in the community, everyone, just about everyone in the community has a good shot at it. Um, yeah. And if they're not feeling like they have a good shot of it, they can play the other faction. They can play Axis because they think, well, you know what? I don't feel like I'm, I'm going to be doing well with my allies. I want to give Axis a shot and give a shot at it from there. Um, and it's good because it brings out the competitive players. It brings out the casual players. Justin manages to merge it all t- together. Everyone has a ball. The price support is absolutely insane. Um, and the community's great. We all go out for drinks afterwards. Yeah, no, I, I would very much agree that it's in a good spot. Um, and uh, the the even within skulls, the variety of how we do mission, or sorry, how Justin does his mission packs, how Justin does his setups for, you know, how you can select your armies, what's in, what's out. Um, you know, we have that feedback loop that we keep getting overall, and then anything that doesn't necessarily fit directly into skulls, we then try and cater for with other events on the side, which is again, you know, some of those things that will start coming forward uh, in 2024 as um, well, providing all plans come to fruition. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's we're kind of in a good space at the moment in that we've got loads of different events coming where we're still working on building the community, but. A lot of our competitive players are happy to play narrative, happy to play casual. We're playing, we're running events probably every two months at the moment, um, to the <laughs> point that players can now pick and choose what they want to attend. Yep. Um, which isn't in a, we haven't been in a situation like that um, previously. In the last sort of twelve months, people have been able to go, well, this is what I want to play at. Um, which obviously that does. Um, tank your attendance at times it, it makes it harder to get above that 20 player mark yep um but at the same time everyone's it, it helps ensure that everyone's there for the same reason everyone's there yes. to keen to do everyone goes well i'm going to this event and we know that this event does this so i'm going to focus on this this is the competitive i'm going to spartan this is a competitive event i'm going to yeah. skulls this is my best foot forward have fun event i'm going to southern thrust this is my theme and like visual appeal and um, weekend away kind of event. Um, mm. So you get people making choices about what they want to go to, and you don't get as many of those mismatched players who are going, well, these are the only events in the calendar. I want to be competitive. I know this isn't a competitive event, but I'm going to go to that anyway because I want to play Bolt Action out and about with the community yep. and be competitive. Yeah. Um, it helps. And, and that's where, you know, we also have um, Band of Brothers, Dueling Aces, um, Take Cover will return again next year in a in a more modified format. Um, the uh, Good Games Cannington Startup League stuff is is ticking along. Um, Tactics has reached out um, to say, hey, do you want to come and do something? And so even if we do like a firefight league at like a completely different sort of scale and and um, uh, set up, or may- or maybe we do like um, 500 point patrol forces or something, um, we are gonna where all those things come to fruition, um, where we're going to start getting to the point where it's like, no, it's actually probably close to one event a month across um, across the year. And, and it will be a case of 
what would you like to play? Here are the events that line up for that. What else takes your interest? Okay, here's the next part that you can go to. Um, and that's outside of, you know, just the regular games, people that are um, like trying to catch up. So, no, it, it's Bolt Action's in a really healthy yeah. spot. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's something which, you know, I take for granted sometimes that we actually have um, in WA in general a lot of really good gaming um, setups in, in the different systems. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a very interesting chat on day one coverage. Uh, I also enjoyed our game immensely. Um, I mean, I enjoy I really enjoyed the games with Kane and Rowan as well. But but um, I could feel the strain in our game. The tension was very real. <laughs> And we were both having an absolute ball. Like, it was of a good course. tension, but we were both there giving it our absolute best. Yes. Um, yes. And, you know, we were making choices. Like obviously, you were going, well, I'm going to throw this forward as bait. And I went, well, I'm going to take that bait and try and get ahead while I can and then force you to come back at me. And, mm. yeah, there was a lot of back and forth in that. Um, obviously, I got the fluky dice roll that forced it to draw. That possibly shouldn't have happened. Um, but it was it was a brilliant game, and the weekend as a whole. I mean, Out, Outpost sixty thirty. Big shout out to them because I know they're always trying to grow their community. Um, but they always put on a, a, a good venue, a good event, good weekends. So if you're in Perth and um, you're there for one of their open days or one of their two skulls events, um, make sure you go. Um, it is probably in in a lot of ways skulls are our two flagship events that the broadest cross section of our community could try to go to. Um, and yeah, Outpost is always good to, to go and support there, play games there um, on a Tuesday. I know they're always trying to get more guys gaming in on, on a Tuesday night. Um, it's fairly central, so it's pretty accessible. I mean, except for the, the Albany boys and some of the guys up in Geraldton who are driving four hours if they want to do something like that. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, Bolt Action's a good game. Mm. And uh, if... If South Perth feels a little bit of a stretch, um, let us know where you're from and what game you want to set up within Perth because um, there is a good chance that we know gamers that are nearby. <laughs> it's, there's uh, it's, yeah, there's not many suburbs that we can't... Yeah, not many suburbs that we can't connect people in some way, shape or form. Um, uh, at least at least point you in the right direction. Excellent. Well, uh, so this has been a slightly shorter episode because we're only going to do the part one for for now. Uh, however, um, we will see you all very soon. All right. See everyone. Yeah.